Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we continue the story of Lady Justice and Kasumai Hikota, the woman Justice has chosen to take on the role of judge. Together, they are leading a squad of newly recruited death marshals to hunt down the resurrectionist traitor known as Douglas McMorning. I hope you enjoy part two of The Risk of Reason, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Sister Margaret's School of Sciences. At Sister Margaret's, we believe everyone deserves a top quality education, no matter your background. We strive to create a nurturing learning experience that your child will treasure for the rest of their lives. Barely a day had passed before Kazumai, now known only as the judge until death itself took the name back from her, had rallied the recruits. They stood in the middle of an empty street, as a ring of dully lit lanterns staring down at a manhole cover just a few blocks inside the quarantine zone. It's time to earn the badge, the judge said, as she adjusted the buttons on her coat sleeves. Who's first? Peterson gave a vacant expression while Tochi, the youngest, reached down and pulled the cover free from the road, before turning his attention to the black hole, straining to hear anything unusual. When all he heard was the slow dripping of water, he grabbed the sides of the shaft and his lantern before dropping feet first. The rest followed, the recruits ending with Peterson, and then finally with the judge, who made sure to readjust the manhole cover before landing in the sewer water. Welcome to the House of the Dead, Peterson said to himself as he reached for his peace springer, equipped to calm his nerves. Keep your guns holstered, the judge whispered, as she reached out and placed her hand on Peterson's revolver, pushing it down. The first one who fires tonight without my say ends up on latrine duty for the next month, and that's if you're lucky. One shot could trigger a horde down here, so don't be stupid and get us all killed. Peterson responded with a groan. So what's the plan? Tochi asked, ready to charge into the darkness. Clean up duty. Time to test your metal. Before anyone had the chance to respond to her, the judge knocked twice on a nearby hollow pipe with her knuckle. A dull ring reverberated through the tunnels. It wasn't long till the sound of dragging feet and slack-jawed moans responded. As soon as Tochi saw three thin grey fingers wrap around the bend of the sewer, he stomped through the muck to meet it head on, holding the peace bringer in his hand like a knife. The thing's rotten head, 
held weakly to the rest of its body by torn and stretched tendons, lolled to the side. Glazed eyes rolled as it clumsily lunged toward the young death marshal. In response, Toji drove the Peacebringer's blade down on the already severing flesh of its neck, finishing the job. With eyes wide, Peterson caught up to Tochi, trampling loudly through the sewage. He patted Tochi's back. Took the weight off his shoulders, eh? Peterson turned a corner, and what he saw immediately washed the smile from his face. In the blackness, sets of shining eyes looked back. Rather than fear the sight of a death marshal, they were like moths to a flame. The rest of the recruits caught up to Peterson and Tochi, and within moments a wall of chains and blades met with a wall of rotten flesh, each marshal looking for their own form of glory, vengeance, or validation. Peterson grabbed the skull of a nearby mindless zombie and crushed it against a concrete wall. Collins launched the side of his fist into an unsuspecting mouth, then pulled down on his jaw like a lever. Mac wrapped his chains around an undead's neck and twisted like a tourniquet until it fell from its shoulders. Tochi stabbed and stabbed into nearby torsos. When one shambling undead lunged, a death marshal initiate was there to intercept. It was as though the training exercise had been with an entirely different group of recruits. Or perhaps all they needed was a reason to fight. The judge stayed back and watched the carnage unfold. Despite their fearlessness, she wasn't entirely pleased. Overconfidence is like standing at the pinnacle before falling into the pit. She couldn't afford to lose any of them, not on her first mission, but she did see progress. Maybe that was enough. Her concerns were soon realized. The undead were seemingly unending. There were at least a dozen in view, and likely more around each dark corner. Peterson and Collins were smart enough to fall back and regain their footing, but Toji hadn't yet noticed that they were about to be overwhelmed. As soon as he lifted his head and saw the stretch of sewer filled with walking corpses, something grabbed at his ankles and pulled him into the water, like falling trees in a hurricane. Three zombies toppled with him, clawing and biting at his leather duster. Peterson turned to face the judge, stunned, hoping she had an answer to the small horde. Forget what I said. Fire away, she shouted above the brawling chaos. With a savage smile, Peterson turned and unloaded his revolver into the zombies atop Tochi. Collins pulled him out from the sewage, eyes wild and panicked. The judge watched the muzzle flashes, knowing what would come next. She had made a mistake bringing them down here, underestimating the sheer volume of the shambling undead below the city streets, and soon, thanks to the thunderous cracks of Peterson's guns, they were going to be overwhelmed by countless more. With that vile necromancer Nicodem, finally in the ground, were the zombies that were left over just wandering uncontrolled. These recruits weren't ready. Was she? Fall back, the judge shouted, preparing for the worst. Her ears were ringing from the gunfire. She couldn't tell if she was just mouthing the words and had no time to wait to see if they heard her. She reached down, released her peace bringer from its holster, and aimed down the sights. But when the judge turned to fire, she held back from pulling the trigger. Rather than see her initiates overwhelmed by the undead, instead the recruits were busy hacking away at necrotic limbs. Peterson planted his boot into a zombie's ribcage, while Collins drove his blade into those that fell. Tochi remained mostly frozen as the rest of the recruits snuffed out the remaining straggling corpses 
but even he brought his heel down on a skull or two. Only the slow and crawling were left, and there were no immediate signs of more. They'd had to leave soon before that changed. See, told you we'd be better off with guns, Peterson said. That was fifteen feet of the sewer lines. There are miles down here. This wasn't even scratching the surface. The judge paused, her ears still ringing. Now you see the importance of what we do, and how quickly things can turn sour. All it takes is one wrong move. Speaking of... Tochi, you all right? Still shaking off the shell shock, Tochi nervously nodded. Good. Training is over. Take the night to clean yourselves up. The lady has a mission for us. Douglas McMorning scuttled through the abandoned boarding school, his arms burdened with stacks of jars. His collection of knives clanged loudly off his hip. The jars were nearly worthless. The chemicals they contained mostly spoiled or too weak to perform the necessary alchemy. But they were also all he had left, so he was making do. Making do, making do, he muttered to himself. Always making do. Pity there's no fame in that. A brick crashed through the window in front of him, spraying glass across the hallway. McMorning pulled back, nearly dropping his assemblage of jars, then hurried to the window. A gang of kids ran laughing from the alleyway. Brats, just sick the guards on. All right, no guards. He chewed his lip for a while. He was going to have to do something about that. A puppy, perhaps? Children loved puppies. And McMorning's puppy had a taste for children. Something to consider. Later. For now, he had to get down to the lab. A doctor's work was never done, especially in a city like Malifaux. The dead just kept dying. Supply and demand. The abandoned school was shaped like a giant horseshoe. Classrooms in the middle, residence halls on the left, and labs on the right. The quad was long since overgrown. He was pretty sure something was living in there. Maybe a subject for the next experiment. Once these damn kids are sorted out. He had turned the labs into a charnel house. Not the purpose they were meant for, nor one they were suited to, but again, making do. When he came across the school, these labs were equipped with nothing more interesting than a Bunsen burner and a collection of dusty beakers. McMorning had fixed all that. Still, it was the bare minimum needed to jumpstart dead bodies. Hardly acceptable at all. Those kids were at the back gate again, he announced when he came into the lab. No one answered. Didn't he have an assistant? McMorning thought back to his last conversation, and yes, someone had answered his questions. He had even told them to fetch some fresh bodies. McMorning looked around. Yes, there were new bodies. Someone else must be here. I said. S Sorry, boss. I thought the kids were part of the plan, Sebastian answered. His sword lay disassembled on one of the back tables. Rather than cleaning it, he appeared to be smearing filth in the crevices, blending in with the neighbourhood and all that. Stop wasting time with apologies and start being useful for once. Something has to be done about it. I can't have them breaking windows and stealing. Stealing? McMorning looked around the broken room and sighed. Well, not much to steal, really. Getting expensive to replace all the equipment that blind bat and her damned marshals keep confiscating from her labs. No sense of propriety, that woman. At least she's too dense to look under her own nose. He rubbed his face. Hmm. Just... 
Do something about those kids, Sebastian. You want me to, uh, bring them here? What? No, good God, no. Disgusting. Children give me the creeps. Small people. Makes no sense. Put them in a jar or something. Fill these up. McMorning dropped his burden on one of the tables, letting them slosh around. Sebastian glanced up. None of the jars were larger than a human head. Uh-huh, he said, nodding enthusiastically. Good, good. Now, where was I? Hmm. Ah, yes, more bodies. He went to the closest corpse. An interesting specimen. Might have died of many things. Consumption, rot gut, fright. Of course, there was the large hole in the corpse's chest cavity, apparently put there by some sort of blade, but it was no good jumping to conclusions. Had to be thorough. Leave nothing to chance. McMorning measured the dead man's limbs, then started removing them one at a time. Do you know what I miss, Sebastian? He mused as he worked. Pillows with pillowcases? McMorning stared blankly at Sebastian for a long moment, then tilted his head down as he rubbed the bridge of his nose. No, you fathead. I miss the enclave. Such good lighting in that room, and the coffee was top-notch. Maybe they take you back, Sebastian ventured. He was just returning the blade to his saw. Once it was locked in place, he gave it a spin. The whole contraption rattled dangerously, as though it were about to fly apart. Maybe he could dress as a woman? It worked for Seamus. Oh yes, an excellent idea. Or maybe I could just zip myself into a body bag and have it delivered to the front door care of Lady Justice. Do you think that would work, Sebastian? A body bag, boss? Sebastian rubbed his ample chin. Well, they look comfortable enough, and this lot never complain about it. You really think they would... The severed finger slapped against Sebastian's cheek, sliding sticky and cold down his face before plopping on the floor. Sebastian stared at it. Next time, I'm throwing the whole hand, McMorning said. Better yet, next time, I'm going to cut off your fingers and throw them at those leeches. Now clean that up. Yes, boss. Should I go ahead and throw this at the kids? I don't give a rat. Something crashed toward the front of the school. McMorning grimaced. Bloody little parasites! Find your own school! Loud voices followed the commotion. Orders being given. Boots marching down deserted hallways. Justice being delivered. Those kids sound like they got bigger boots now, Sebastian said. Quiet! McMorning's eyes darted from every window and door to the room, listening intently to the commotion outside. Oh, yes. Now I remember why I hated the Enclave. Someone's always kicking in doors and asking questions. He cleaned his hands, using the dead man's face as the towel. Well, don't just stand there. Go rouse the welcoming party. About time they earned their keep. The front door cracked open under the riot breaker's heavy shield. The big construct ducked into the dilapidated school, before unfolding to its full height. The ruin of the door slid off its bulky frame, raining shattered plaster and dust. The light from its glowing eye scanned the room. Customized to deal with the type of mob that tends not to listen or be intimidated, the slowly spinning barrels of its gatling gun swept from door to door. There was no response. Lady Justice stepped through the breach, climbing nimbly over the ruin of the front wall, and made her way to the centre of the room. 
Broken trophy cases lay abandoned in the front hallway. The peeling portraits of a former headmaster lay slashed and forgotten on the floor. She let her senses spread throughout the building. The scuttle of mice, the drip and drop of broken pipes, a rattling shutter, empty. But he was here. He had to be. The description those children gave the guards, the stack of bodies by the foyer, and the familiar stink of formaldehyde meant something was off. Those dots could have connected to just about any necromancer, but Justice was driven by vengeance. Clear, Justice shouted. The troops of marshals swept in behind her, followed by the newly appointed judge. The woman stopped next to Justice, admiring the hulking construct that loomed over them. Never worked with one of the big boys before, the judge said. How'd you wrangle that? There are these things called requisition forms. She gave a sardonic smile, thinking back on Dashiell angrily stamping paperwork behind stacks of papers on his desk. Take half into the northern wing and have the others swing around. I'm heading southward. This has McMoran and Stench all over it. He's here somewhere. At least she hoped. We'll find him, the judge said. She drew her blade and faced her charges. Toshi, Mac, the two of you take these guardsmen and sweep this building. Collins, you stick with the lady and guard her back. Peterson, you and the other guards are with me. Peterson grimaced as he fell in step behind the judge. The rest of the marshals went about their assigned tasks without complaint. Justice listened, silently pleased. It was good to have someone else to help with shared responsibilities. She should have done this months ago. A narrow death marshal stepped to the fore and waited patiently. Although a recent recruit, he was already showing early signs that the toil of the death marshal's training and magic takes upon its members. He might have been handsome once. Sandy blonde hair hung down over his face. But when he brushed it aside, the skin there had taken on a ghostly aura, and the eye on that side was black as ink. This man was as good as dead, on Justice's orders and in service of the guild. You must be Collins, she said. He nodded silently. This way. The school was a bit of a puzzle. It looked like the fancy boarding school that dotted the expensive parts of Malifaux City. Wooden panels lined the hallways, though their varnish had lost its gloss, and moisture and mould had long ago split the panels and turned them grey. Every fixture and frame at one time had been gilt in gold, though patient looters had scavenged much of that, possibly the same boys who had tipped her off about the school's new resident. The carpet on the floor had been tightly knit at one point, expensive, but had long fallen to ruin as well. Why would anyone build a school like this so close to the slums? Who would pay good script to send their children to board in the shadow of the quarantine zone? No wonder the place had failed. She led Collins to the southern wing of the school. She didn't think that the troops searching the main building would find anything, but the judge was right to check just in case. If McMorning was here, the whole place could be stuffed with corpses waiting to rise at his command. Justice. The voice came from behind her, dry and rattling. The voice of a dead man. She whipped around, bringing her sword up ready to strike. Her blade came down inches from Colin's neck. The marshal froze, eyes wide. Sorry, he said haltingly. It was his voice, his tongue black and withered, lying fallow in his mouth. No wonder he hadn't spoken earlier. Didn't mean to startle you. You should know. I've been here before. A long time ago. 
You have? Why? Amy, my daughter went here, he said. The marshal crossed the hallway to where part of the ceiling had collapsed, covering the wall. He shoved it aside, revealing a plaque. She was a good kid. He didn't have to spell it out. She understood. Justice came closer to the plaque, running her fingertips against the engraved letters. Sister Margaret's School of Sciences. There were a lot of other capital letters that basically said charity. Justice shook her head. It wasn't a bad place, Collins said. His voice sounded like gravel. He coughed, rubbing his throat. She loved it here. But, uh, she... Yeah. So I became a marshal. She had a hard time imagining what the place looked like before the disarray, but knew it was difficult for the man to speak of his lost daughter, so she changed the subject. Do you remember the layout? He nodded, apparently unwilling to suffer the sound of his own voice. Were there labs? Science labs. Maybe an infirmary. Collins nodded again, then pointed toward the end of the hall, then down. Show me, Justice said, hope rising again. The judge kicked in the first door she came to, splintering it apart in cheap plywood fragments. This part of the school was very different than the main building. Wooden panelling had been replaced with stone walls and low arched doorways. Long hallways stretched the length of the building, connected by narrow staircases at each end. There were doors every few feet. Flimsy and locked from the outside, it looked more like a prison. Words were etched over the doors. Suffer to be saved. Stone sharpens stone. Fire burns the wicked. She couldn't figure out the capitalization routine. She suspected the artist hadn't either. The room she had just entered was cold and coffin-narrow. A barred window let in a trickle of light, revealing a single bed, a desk with chair and a trunk. She kicked the trunk open. Mildewed clothes lay rotting in neat stacks, weighed down by a student's notebook and ink set. She looked around the room, not even fit for a corpse. Open each room in turn, she said. Let me know if you find anything important. What qualifies as important? Peterson asked. You know why we're here, the judge answered. Bodies, Peterson. We're looking for bodies. The kind of thing a monster like McMorning might keep in his closet. Glamorous, he said. I'll get right on it. The judge gave the room one last look. A miserable place. No wonder it had failed. She just wanted to be out of here before nightfall. This place was starting to give her the creeps. Broken glass littered the hallway. Someone had smashed one of the windows overlooking the school's courtyard. Following closely on Lady Justice's heels, Collins looked through the broken window and saw where the judge and her small patrol were working their way through the opposite wing of the school. Flickering lantern lights shone through narrow, barred windows. Justice thought about sending word to the judge that she thought she knew where McMorning was, but decided against it. She wanted to face the bastard herself. She motioned Collins forward, and the marshal led her down the hall. So your daughter, was she the reason why you joined up? she asked. Collins nodded. Your voice isn't going to bother me, Collins. 
I've heard worse. Ma'am, he said. He cleared his throat again, a sound like sandpaper grinding on gravel. Labs are right here. The double doorway Collins indicated was made of graying wood. The word science stenciled across its centre. Justice stilled her breathing and extended her senses. Silence. But the dead were never a talkative bunch. Something else tickled at her senses, though. That familiar stink mingled with rotten plaster. She put her hand to the nearest wall. Her fingers came back sticky. Embalming fluid leaked through the paint. It was everywhere. She turned sharply to the recruit. Get back to the judge. Tell her to watch the walls, she snapped. Something's not right. But McMorning, go. If McMorning's here, I'll handle him, Justice said. Collins hesitated, staring at the dilapidated doors of the bar tree. That was an order, Collins. The recruit ducked his head and hurried off. He'd make a good marshal someday, if he ever got over his voice. Once he was gone, Justice drew her blade and crept toward the doors. The sound of dripping liquid echoed through the hallway. She paused just in front of the door, and coiled her body and slammed through, bursting into the lab. None other than Douglas McMorning stood in near-total darkness, watching the door, a manic grin on his face. Justice hesitated. The doctor was leaning against an observation table, his arms folded, apparently alone. Found you, you coward. Tired of running, she asked. Ha! I am tired of being pursued, he said. Though it is flattering. A doctor of my calling isn't exactly beating back admirers with a cudgel. So, hmm, how was the enclave in my absence? She didn't respond. She gritted her teeth and stalked forward. Still a preserved cadaver just as I left it? Or has the rot finally begun to settle in without me? <laughs> he really was alone. McMorning pushed off his perch, arms still folded, and strode casually around the table in front of him. There was a body lying there, wrapped in sheets. As Justice coldly marched forward, the doctor ignored her, going about the business of uncovering the body on the table as he pontificated. If she could get close enough to strike while he was distracted, she could... Lady Justice's attention faded. The body McMorning was unwrapping wore a guild uniform. The side of the head facing her was a bloody ruin, skull caved in by a jagged puncture wound entering near the eye, the exit wound turning the back of the head into a puzzle box of small white bones. The blonde hair was matted with gore. Her mouth surrounded an old rot. She drew closer, McMorning looking up at her. What's the matter, Justice? Lose someone, he asked. With two fingers, he tilted the head toward her. The bones and ligaments of the neck protested, crackling as the skull settled onto the table. A black puff of smoke escaped an old wound. Half her face stared at her. Half her face that she had once loved. Justice didn't answer. She vaulted the two tables that stood between them, sword drawn overhead, crashing through the low-hanging lights, sending sparks flying. Like a striking snake, McMorning reacted quicker than she thought possible, pushing the table toward her, tumbling the corpse onto the floor. The corpse of her one-time judge flopped unceremoniously to the ground in a meaty thunk. With a strangled cry, she moved with single-minded purpose, hurtling across the table that stood between them, sword in hand. She landed next to him and swung down, cutting into a nearby counter like kindling. 
but like the snake he was, McMorning was already gone, slithered away into the shadows. Just escaped in horror at the judge's cold body, his one eye looking up at her in glassy silence. How? How did you? She wanted to scream, to gnash her teeth in rage and wail at the world. Instead, she choked off an angry sob, clamping her mouth shut in a feral grimace. She wouldn't give the bastard the pleasure of knowing that he had struck a telling blow. What? You took one friend away, so I had to make another? McMorning's voice came from the back of the lab. Something clouded her perception, as though a heavy fog lay in the air. He's not that much of a talker, I admit, but he's been such a wonderful conversation piece. Lady Justice charged forward silently, sword swinging, heart shut tight in her chest. McMorning's shadow slipped away from her. The closer she got, the faster he fled. Good choice, she thought. When I catch you, there won't be enough left to feed to the rats. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for the conclusion of The Risk of Reason. <laughs>